Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Breda Pest Management, the official pest control of UGA Athletics. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. I was thinking this morning a little bit, you know, why is it that the commitment of the nation's number one prospect, five-star quarterback Dylan Riola, why does it feel so big? Now, the credentials alone are enough to make it feel obviously very big, but here's the other thing we kind of know here, which is that Georgia wins big recruiting battles all the time. Georgia is no stranger to having elite recruiting classes. That's the kind of the hallmark of the Kirby Smart program since he's been here. This is a program that kind of brings in the 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 big recruits. And so in, in one respect, the Riola thing is is obviously not that different than some of the stuff that Georgia's done in, in the past here. And yet the feeling around Riola is a good bit different, even than the uh, elite great prospects that Georgia's been collecting year after year after year. So why is that the case? I think a lot of this kind of centers around the fact that it is the quarterback position. Here's the thing you know. A lot of the people who watch or listen to our show are kind of like me. You're Georgia recruiting obsessive. So you're following every twist and turn, every every move that gets made in any given recruiting class in any given year, and your antenna's kind of already up this time of year as it relates to UGA recruiting no matter what. That's just what we do. That's our hobby. That's our pastime. That's what we enjoy doing. But there's another category of Georgia fans, and they're busy. They got families. They got work. They got whatever else. Maybe they haven't been following recruiting for a, for a number of years. And so their relationship with recruiting is a good bit different. They kind of check in. They kind of check out. They're a little bit more casual in terms of their observance of UGA recruiting. They just sort of trust Kirby to go out and get the best players that he can get. They assume he's going to do that. Once those guys get on campus, then they'll take some time to, to learn who those players are. I would say that group of fans is smaller than it used to be because I think recruiting, by and large, has kind of gone more mainstream. But nonetheless, there are uh, some casual fans who are kind of only paying attention to this story right now because it is the quarterback spot. And that quarterback, that nation's number one recruit, this sort of brings people into the tent of following UGA recruiting that might otherwise not be following it. And so why does it feel like this story just keeps getting bigger and keeps getting bigger? Because more and more people who don't always follow George recruiting, more and more people who you know kind of don't have that necessarily on their radar – well, all of a sudden, they are zoomed in very closely. They are paying you know, very close attention. They, this story does feel big to them because it is the quarterback. And so those of us are kind of always here. It's kind of like when you know about the cool band and the cool band goes mainstream and you sort of feel like, well, I knew about him first or something like that. I saw him playing in some you know, dingy basement somewhere a long time ago. You know, A lot of UGA recruiting fans have a chance to sort of have that feeling a little bit right now of, hey, I've been following Georgia recruiting and now even more people kind of care about what I care about. More people are kind of coming to the tent. They've heard the same kind of thing. And those of us are sort of always here no matter what. We enjoy the buzz as it builds. And I truly believe that the buzz around five-star quarterback Dylan Riola is literally just getting started. And part of the enjoyment for Georgia fans around something like this is to sort of listen to what other people are saying about this. You know, I told you a couple of times this week, I think the word that I would use to describe the reaction that Georgia rivals, Florida, Auburn, Tennessee, have had competitors to the college football playoff for Georgia, like Alabama, Ohio State, the word here is demoralizing. Because what Georgia has shown you, they're more than capable of winning a national championship with a walk-on quarterback. That when you pair a walk-on quarterback with best offensive line in the country, best defense in the country, toughest, most willing to embrace the required physicality, no one doing that better than Georgia, that if you've got all that, well, you can have a walk-on quarterback and go out there and you know dominate college football. But now Georgia has potentially in its future a quarterback that's the same caliber of every other position group. And wide receivers want to play with that quarterback to give that position group the same cachet, the same stature of the other position groups around the program. And if you're Alabama and Ohio State, you sort of hung your hat on, well, Georgia may have this and they may have that and they may have that, but we got the better quarterback play. Well, that's been true, but it may not be true going forward. And, you know, the haters of Georgia in the SEC, the Florida fans, the Auburn fans, the the, the Tennessee fans, the whatever else, you know, the, the amount of stuff they can even poke at Georgia about, that list of things getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. One of the last things they had was, yeah, but your quarterback play and Kirby stubborn or whatever else the people say. Well, guess what? You know, all of a sudden now you don't even have that as a talking point anymore when you think about a guy like Dylan Riola coming into this program, that it really is demoralizing for anybody who kind of 
would like to think of themselves as either a Georgia rival or a competitor with Georgia. This is just a really, really significant blow to uh, whatever hopes you might have had for college football in the future. And you better believe national media types are going to notice this. I saw where uh, Greg McElroy, ESPN analyst, was doing his podcast thing and the subject of Dylan Rilo came up. And there's always kind of an interesting thing, as I told you before, quarterbacks bring casual fans into the recruiting conversation. Most national media types, I would say, are pretty casual when it comes to, you know, the their knowledge of recruiting, their ability to talk about recruiting. McAway, I'd kind of put in that camp. I, you know, I, I don't know that I think of him as a recruiting expert. He's obviously an ESPN analyst, but even he was talking about Dylan Riola this week. And one of the things that he said about, you know, Georgia getting Riola is an example of the rich getting richer. We would obviously say that. And that's kind of one of the things that makes it so demoralizing for those that are not Georgia. But he then went on to talk about the value of Riola with the Georgia program as a pretty strong retort to some of the other things that have been going on out there as of late. And this is how the national media sort of perceives the arrival of Riola into this 2024 class, his presence here now as a magnet drawing others to the Georgia program. Here is how Greg McElroy recently summed that up on an ESPN podcast. Take a listen. This is really really significant because it felt like at least for the moment that Georgia was losing a couple key pieces. I already referenced Thomas's flip to Florida State. They lost Bear Alexander, who was a young player that was likely to become a contributor this season. And people are starting to wonder, hey, where's this going? You know, Mike Bobo's coming in. Just there were some question marks about all of that. Well, Dylan Riola clearly affirmed that this is significant, that so, I mean- this is still a destination. And I would imagine now as the top quarterbacks made his decision, other players will flock to play with Rayola here in the future. So uh, McElroy being a good quarterback had a hard count, sort of drew me off sides there. I thought he was done. <laughs> I jumped back in and he kept right on going. But obviously the thing that McElroy says there at the end is what's going to be of interest to a lot of Georgia fans, which is the fact that, that Dylan Rayola is now to draw more people with him to Georgia. More on that in a moment. But prior to that, the first part of the clip there from McElroy, and I think it's very interesting, from people who kind of only follow recruiting from sort of an arm's length distance and kind of only view Georgia from sort of the 10,000-foot perspective, I guess there'd been some reason for some negativity here as of late. Uh, Landon Thomas you know, did flip to Florida State. Bear Alexander did go to USC. I think those of us who are a little closer to this situation would say, I'm actually not quite so sure Landon Thomas, that story's done. I think we've seen some evidence here that Todd Hartley does not take, you know, a recruiting losses lightly. I don't think that Todd Hartley's given up on Landon Thomas. And I think that uh, the arrival of Riola gives Thomas a lot more to think about here. So I don't believe by any stretch of the imagination, Georgia's waved the white flag on the Landon Thomas situation here. But nonetheless, from sort of the 10,000 foot view, that looked like a recruiting loss to guys like Greg McElroy. You mentioned the Bear Alexander thing. Negative spin. Oh, Georgia lost one of its, you know, up and coming young defensive linemen. Probably fair to point out that, you know, if Georgia wanted to spend big to hold on to Bear Alexander, it probably could have. The fact that it didn't, I think, would lead you to believe that Georgia feels like it's probably okay without him. That's just sort of a knee jerk reaction, kind of a quick read there on that situation. No disparaging to Bear, but, you know, I think that Georgia still feels like it's probably okay from a defensive line standpoint. But, but nonetheless, from a guy like McElroy's perspective sitting there at ESPN, they look at the uh, uh, Dylan Riola news as, oh, we thought maybe Georgia's had a little bit of a rough offseason, lost a top player to a transfer portal, lost a top recruit to Florida State, and all of a sudden, boom, big response, big, uh, I guess, change in the narrative by Kirby Smart here to go out and get Dylan Riola and to remind people that the dogs who've been on top the last couple of years have every plan to sort of stay there moving forward. That's the kind of praise a guy like Greg McElroy heaps on Georgia after this happens, and I think the Georgia fans kind of enjoy hearing that. The other thing that Georgia fans kind of enjoy hearing is, well, who's next? If uh, Riola's coming, who's he bringing with him? And to that, I'll invite you to read a great story that Jeff Sintel has right now at dognation.com. In fact, let me show you this on the screen here for those of you watching on video. A good tease to the to this. Jeff writing on Twitter a moment ago, this is just before our show started, that Georgia's going to host its annual scavenger hunt this weekend. A lot of you are familiar with that recruiting event where they kind of bring in, they sort of play the fine Kirby Smart game. And it's just kind of one of those fun things they do to kind of uh, get recruits sort of activated on campus, learning more about the uh, scene there at UGA. Jeff writing on Twitter that the novel concept draws a robust list 
of top prospects. This year sets up as the granddaddy of them all. No disrespect to the Rose Bowl there on that. With the with the dogs welcoming several five stars, including five official visitors. Now, my guess is Jeff will be talking a lot more about this on Before the Hedge is presented by Kroger Denied. But if you go to dognation.com, obviously you can see the list of official visitors highlighted by Jeremiah Smith, the five-star wide receiver. And, you know, speaking of competitors with Georgia for the college football playoff, you think Ohio State hates Georgia right now? You better believe they do, starting with Damon Wilson, continuing with the row, uh, with the, the, the Peach Bowl this uh, past season. Now Dylan Riola, now Riola holding sway over uh, – and you can take that down now uh, – holding sway over uh, uh, Jeremiah Smith. You better believe the Buckeyes fans have every reason to hate Georgia here at the moment. And Jeremiah Smith's official visit this weekend will be watched closely, not just by Georgia fans, but uh, by Ohio State fans there as well. This is potentially a very big deal. You got Casey Poe. Uh, taking an official visit out of uh, Tyler, Texas. He's going to be here. Cam McCall, that's a guy we're hearing more about lately out of Statesboro. That's a fun official visit. Marcus Harrison, Colton Heinrich, uh, taking official visits there as well. You've got a lot of folks coming into Athens here this weekend. You've got an incredible crop of 2025 guys uh, planning to be on hand there as well. So it is starting to happen. The reverberations, the movement that we expected after the Dylan Riola commitment, already seeing some evidence of that, even this upcoming weekend. Jeff Sintel's got all that covered for you there at dognation.com. This is so true. Even guys like Greg McElroy that don't necessarily recover recruiting on a regular basis, they're even noticing it too. The rich get richer. Georgia brings in Riola. Riola almost certainly to bring in some folks with him. And what Georgia has been best in college football with Riola in the fold, all of a sudden now – Get a, you get the sense the arrow may still be pointing up going forward. It is undoubtedly a tremendous time to be a Georgia Bulldogs fan. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Breda, past management. Happy to have you with us. No matter how you get to us live on video, we start at 945, first and 15, dognation.com, Dog Nation app. That's extra content you don't get anywhere else. Special thank you for those of us who watch the show on our own platform. We give you a little extra content just to say thanks for that. We appreciate so many of you being a part of it, thousands of you each and every day on that platform alone. Of course, after that, 10 a.m., we're live on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Twitch, all those video platforms there, too. That is always a lot of fun. Radio at noon on Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref and as a podcast, Apple, Spotify. Some of you listen directly on SoundCloud. Some of you wait for us to post the show at dognation.com. It is the platform where all of this began. And if I have to be honest, it's the one that kind of still uh, is special to me in a way that almost nothing else ever could be. Love our podcast listeners and so happy to have all of you as a part of our program. Also so thankful to have our friends at Breda Pass Management as a part of all this today, too. And what I love about our great sponsor, and I said this the other day, like I, I can guarantee you right now, Matt Breda has been high-fiving people all over the place ever since Georgia won the commitment of uh, Dylan Rio. We love great sponsors, but the sponsors that we have that love UGA, that love interacting with Georgia fans, that's just my favorite thing in the world, and that's why I love Breda Pass Management. In fact, you know, Matt's not just a fan. He owns the pest company that gets to call itself the official pest control provider of UG Athletics. Can you imagine uh, what a prestigious designation that must be within that particular field? And you don't get there without a long track record of quality service for uh, folks for a very long time. And obviously, Breda Pest Management has been in business since 1975. So they've been taking care of folks since longer than I've been born. Uh, 125 different employees out there working hard, taking care of folks, really taking just as good a care of your home or your commercial property, whatever you have, as they do of all those uh, UGA athletic facilities, which they're protecting from termites and bugs and critters and everything else. That is what Breda Pest Management does. That is what they are all about. Now, here is where that strength, that, that prestige, that level of respect works to your benefit because all of that becomes a resource that can be marshaled in favor for you when you make the switch to Breda Pest Management because the company you're working with, maybe it's fly by night, maybe it's somebody recommended to you by your uncle or whatever else, and you're just not that happy with it. You know, it's like the quality of service seems to go down. The cost of service seems to go up. Everything seems to be getting more expensive these days, but that's not going to be true for Breda Pest Management. When you make the switch to Breda, you're going to put more money in your pocket, boom, right away just for making that decision. So don't put it off. Make the decision today. In fact, find out more about them. It's BredaPest.com, B-R-E-D-A, BredaPest.com, B-R-E-D-A. You can reach out, nice, friendly folks, great company, uh, big UGA fans, You know, big supporter of just sort of local sports in general, 
and uh, great people who want to put more money back in your pocket to give you a, a great reward incentive for reaching out to them. So make sure you check them out, BredaPest.com, B-R-E-D-A, BredaPest.com, for a lot more on that. All right, we are going to talk to Mike Griffith here in a moment. We'll get some thoughts from Mike about the uh, Dylan Riola situation that is uh, playing out here right now. Also, before we're done today, um, there is a word of caution that I've given now a couple of times for a guy that I think that Georgia fans truly love. And today, we have more evidence of why that word of caution is appropriate. I'll give that to you here coming up in just a couple of minutes. Prior to that, though, I want to go around the doghouse. And I want to step away from the Riola conversation here for a moment because I think there is a job that Georgia fans have this season. You have a duty this year. You may see your team go for three in 23, and obviously we look forward to kind of starting that campaign up here really soon, getting fired up and getting ready to see this Georgia Bulldogs program potentially take home a third straight national championship. However, there is a weird dynamic that occurs with Georgia being as successful as it's been and the number of talented players that that create that level of success. And it's not a bad thing. I believe it's a good thing, but it's a good thing that creates kind of an interesting dilemma for, I think, some Georgia fans sometimes. Georgia's had, what, eight first-round picks over the course of the last couple of years? Like, how many how many players has Georgia had over the last two national championship seasons that you would say kind of rise the level of being sort of beloved, historic figures for Georgia? I'm not going to run through the entire list, but if we did, boy, it's this guy, it's that guy, it's that guy, and that's that guy. It's just a very, very long list of great players who've been at Georgia the last couple of seasons. That's a great thing if you're a Georgia fan. It, it, it truly is. But an ensemble cast like that sometimes means that certain people don't get the attention that they probably should. Certain players probably don't get the love they should probably get. And I think that Georgia's actually got a lot of what I would call underrated players from time to time, certainly national media-wise. I believe there are a great number of underrated players. I think Smile Mondin probably was one of those guys last year. It's laughable that Georgia hasn't won the Joe Moore Award either the last two years. That's an example of Georgia being somewhat underrated. But believe it or not, I think it's even possible that Georgia's best overall player is himself also underrated. Let's talk about Brock Bowers here for a moment. This is the job, this is the duty that I believe that Georgia fans have this year. you got to appreciate this. While it's happening, while it's going on, you got to appreciate this. Now, the other day, you can go back to February for a moment. We were doing some uh, vacation shows back in February, and we kind of did our Mount Rushmore of Georgia football, the four most significant players, the best players this program's ever had. And I had Bowers on my list of the four best players that ever played for this program, even coming to this season. I believe I'm right for doing so. But with a third year coming up, and we believe it'll probably be Bowers last year, with a third year coming up, he has a chance to sort of add to that legacy even more. And... I believe that he probably will. I think he's going to be a thousand-yard receiver this year. That's something only one other Georgia player has ever done. Our buddy Terrence Edwards will join us tomorrow. Uh, that that's kind of the job right now for Georgia fans to realize that you're seeing something special. And what Bowers is transcends the tight end position. I believe in a lot of respects he's redefined the tight end position. Certainly here at Georgia and across college football. But the level of success that he's enjoying transcends that position. Who would you trade Brock Bowers for in this country right now? I hope you say nobody. I really do. Not Marvin Harrison Jr. Not Caleb Williams. Not anybody. I wouldn't trade Brock Bowers for anybody, and nor do I think that you should either. He is just that kind of player. And the other day, uh, when Kirby's on the WJOX radio interview, he's going to interact with Cole Kublik about this, about just how good Brock Bowers can be. And they were kind of joking about the fact that he's, you know, he's done some running back you know, practice and he could probably play any number of positions. And in light of what I was just saying, Kirby talking about Bowers and also the tight end position in general, uh, probably pretty relevant here. Uh, but Georgia fans got to appreciate just how special Brock Bowers is. Here is Kirby talking about Bowers and the rest of that position group here on WJOX just last week. How much more can we see from Brock Bowers this year? How much? How many more different things can he do for your football? Team? As many times he can touch the ball, he needs to touch it. He is a special. Play him on, special de- play him on defense. Hey, I could do it, man. He could play it. I guarantee you that. <laughs> Well, when I talked to him before I had you guys this year, he said, you know, I have lined up a tailback. Yeah, he worked a tailback because we didn't have any backs, and we took about a week-long camp deal and worked him at tailback in case we needed him. <laughs> the guy's ridiculous. He's, he's a good player, man. Insane. You're loaded at tight end again. You have to feel good about that spot. Well, we're, we're not as loaded as we were. We don't have a guy like Darnell. We've got uh, – Has there ever been a guy players. like Darnell no. at tight end before? <laughs> but, we don't, but, but we don't have him, so we had him. We don't have him, so it's not the exact same. <laughs> 
So one of the things that Kirby Smart says there is, hey, as many different ways as he can touch it, he needs to. And we've seen Bowers carry the ball. We haven't seen him line up at tailback during game. We've seen him carry the ball against the little sort of jet sweep carries, things like that. He has done you know plenty of that. And Kirby says, hey, we need to get him as many touches as we can. Now, during the regular season last year, that's not something that Georgia always did. They were trying to get other guys involved, and they sort of knew the Bowers button. They sort of could push that, the easy button, if you will, anytime they wanted to. But they were kind of content in most games because they're blowing teams out, not necessarily do that. Well, national championship game, all of a sudden, there was no reason to save anything anymore. It was literally your last game. So they just turned Bowers loose. And what do you have, darn near 200 yards receiving? You, you kind of wonder if this year, in what's going to be their final year to use Bowers, if they just sort of feel like this year they get the freedom to kind of you know, push the envelope with him more. And we do see him more of a sort of a featured player, focal point of the offense in a way that last year wasn't often that. I hope that's the case because I do think it makes it easier for Georgia fans to do what I requested of them a moment ago, which is just appreciate what you got in this guy as good a player as Georgia's probably ever had come through this program. Certainly on that shortest list of very best players the program's ever had, I believe that is what Brock Bowers is. Now, very quickly on a slightly different subject, uh, I do think as we head towards the summer, head through the summer, towards the start of the season, we are also going to talk more about what Kirby says there, that the loss of Darnell Washington is a significant one, right? Because, you know, Darnell was just such a big weapon, literally and and, and, uh, figuratively, opposite Brock Bowers a year ago. You know, how you replace him matters. In some respects, we've talked during the spring about the fact that, well, maybe Georgia kind of looks to – to look a little different on offense this year where you may see only one tight end in the game more frequently three wide receiver sets just because that uh darnell washington isn't here that may be true no matter what just because of how good we think the dominant love it might be as a slot receiver that might sort of predicate more three wide receiver sets but also i think that georgia despite the fact that we would all take what kirby says there about darnell very very seriously I think that Georgia actually still sets up pretty well at the tight end position overall. I think that Oscar Delp ought to be on your list of players who could really be breakout candidates here this year. And everything we heard about Lawson Lucky in the spring would suggest that he's a guy that's going to need to be on the field in some form or fashion at times this year there as well. So take Kirby seriously. You know, there is no Darnell Washington, and Darnell Washington was such a a a, a catalyst and an engine that made the Georgia offense go a year ago. But nonetheless, the the premise of the question, I think, is still correct, that Georgia still sets up to be very deep at tight end opposite Brock Bowers. But all of that shouldn't take the spotlight off of Bowers either. This is a truly special player, and this is the kind of guy that could be best player in the entire country regardless of position. So as you get ready to settle in and hopefully see Georgia go for three and 23, how they do it's going to matter showcasing Brock Bowers and his prodigious skill set, seeing more of that for probably the final time here in Athens here this year. Uh, an important job for Georgia fans to sit back, notice that, and really soak all that in and appreciate it for exactly what has been one of the best careers that anybody's ever put together at the University of Georgia. That is Around the Doghouse here today. As I told you before, I'm going to talk to you a little bit later on about a, uh, a figure that Georgia fans love that probably needs a very good year this year and kind of what that means for the rest of the SEC. We'll do all that coming up here in just a moment. But for now, let's get back to the conversation that's dominated the week. Nation's number one recruit, five-star quarterback Dylan Riola on his way to the University of Georgia. What does this mean for the dogs? Let's find out from Mike Griffith here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Great to have Mike Griffith here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management today. Uh, Mike, we've obviously tried to cover the uh, Riola news from every single angle, but I haven't personally heard from you on this yet. So let me let you have the floor here. What does the Riola news mean for you? Well, it's momentum. And, you know, it's validation of the Mike Bobo hire and of Kirby Smart and the confidence uh, that elite players have in the program. I I feel like it's redemption uh, after a much-publicized loss uh, out on Arch Manning last year. And you come back and get the number one overall player. I mean, if you get Arch Manning last year, you don't get Riola this year. I can tell you that. So, and, and, and in hindsight, you know, the timing's better. When we look at the quarterback room and the confidence that we have that Carson Beck or Brock Vandergriff will be able to take the reins and have success this year uh, and into next year. Because I think with Riola, we're probably looking at 2025 for a major impact. Um, although I don't completely rule out 
him competing in 2024. Um, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, Gunnar Stockton is, is probably the guy on the hot seat, if anybody. Um, but, you know, we've seen less heralded guys win the job before. I think the guy that just walked out the door was a, uh, you know, a junior college walk-on that no other Power 5 school wanted out of high school or out of the um, portal out of Georgia Junior College. So, you know, it just goes to show you that, um, you know, it doesn't matter what your rankings are, it's what you do when you get here. But nonetheless, uh, from a surface uh, point of view and, and the national reaction is, wow, Georgia really has it going. And, and that's, that's really good momentum. That's a, that's a good uh, advertisement for the program. So let's work through this for a moment. Cause I think you bring up an interesting point. I'm going to kind of do this off the top of my head. And if I'm forgetting something big, please uh, correct me on this, but it seems like a few years ago, we had a little bit of a trend where true freshman quarterbacks were actually playing a lot around college football and some of them were playing really well obviously I guess Trevor Lawrence probably the best example of that didn't begin the season as the Clemson starter but certainly took over and then helped lead Clemson to a to a national championship that year Jake Fromm in 2017 here at Georgia even guys like say Josh Rosen at UCLA became a freshman starter out there and have had, had a pretty good freshman year you know Georgia didn't shy away from starting Jacob Eason in 2016 uh, I think there are probably even other examples I could give you where you know, if you want to go like early era college football playoff, there were a lot of freshman quarterbacks starting and 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 really doing pretty well as true freshmen. It sort of seems like to me, Mike, the last couple of years, we've trended away from that a little bit. I guess Caleb Williams eventually became a true freshman starter for Oklahoma, but that took a while for that to take place. Uh, Bryce Young did not start his first year at Alabama. C.J. Stroud didn't start his first year at Ohio State. It sort of seems like right now we're kind of in a in a sort of a micro era of kind of trending away from the true freshman starter. Whereas if you want to go, you know, a handful of years ago, there were true freshman quarterbacks starting for programs all over, you know, college football, and some of them were the very best programs. Is that kind of your read on the situation too? That you know, it wasn't that long ago that we had true freshman starters in college football. Seems like we haven't done that around the sport quite as much as of late, unless they're obviously big names. I might be forgetting. Well, I think the transfer portal has a lot to do with that, Brandon. Teams can go to the portal now and get answers, you know, whereas maybe before, you know, they, they had their freshman coming in or the guy ahead of them got injured, you know, was, was the case with Eason and Fromm. I don't think, I don't think Jake would have started if Eason hadn't gotten injured. I think, um, you know, Jake was pressed into playing and it just so happened that that was a run dominant team. When you looked at the personnel, it's what, it was what was dictated with no matter who the starter was. I mean, if you got Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb, you're kind of run the football a lot and Georgia did more than any other school uh, outside of the academies that year they had a higher run run to pass ratio uh, because of the talent that they had but i think the portal probably has something to do with that as teams are able to now address their needs through the portal uh transfers there's been a little bit more of a proliferation of transfers uh you know probably going back to what 2019 2020 i think the system that you play has something to do with that and georgia you know very comfortable in a pro style system now and um you know, for people that don't know that, that puts a lot of power and control. And I mean, my goodness, you saw Gunnar Stockton, you know, struggling to get a playoff in the G Day game um, and, and taking a delay a game inside the five yard line. I mean, this is a really smart, really good quarterback, uh, you know, going into his second year that's having trouble getting a snap off on time because there's that much to do. So Georgia's system is such that it's very challenging uh, for incoming players. And I mean, we saw it with Justin Fields. Uh, you see it with Gunnar Stockton. Um, you know, you'll you'll see it with you'll probably see it with the next guy. So I think it's a combination of things. I think one, it's the transfer portal, which is helping teams meet their needs uh, through uh, other means. And two, in Georgia's case, I think it's the complexity of the offense and everything that they ask that quarterback to do between calling two or three plays in the huddle to picking the right play to setting the protections to setting the run leverages to making route route and receiver adjustments. And doing all that in a fifteen-second window, leaving the huddle. The other thing that you know, you uh, uh, you just have to, I think, give credit for here is, as you mentioned, the Mike Bobo part of this. That you know, when Bobo was here the first go around, he was one of the best recruiters Georgia had on the on its coaching roster, regardless of position. And you don't oftentimes think of the offensive coordinator as necessarily being sort of your alpha recruiter. But Bobo was a major influence on a lot of guys that didn't even play on offense. You know, you, know, you want to go back to his previous time being here. And, you know, this is the kind of recruiting win I think you're capable of having when you've got a guy like Bobo that that prioritizes recruiting. And listen, everybody can say what you want about Todd Munkin as a play caller on the field. Obviously, he was, 
you know, fantastic. The results speak for itself. But also, I think Munkin, by his own admission, was uh, just not that into the uh, recruiting part of this. And so I think stories like this kind of give you an indication of the sort of value add that a guy like Mike Bobo can provide as offensive coordinator because, you know, he is just sort of better at genuinely fostering those relationships in a way that a lot of offensive coordinators might not be, including his uh, predecessor there at UGA. Well, I mean, I think the first thing that I think we really have to take a hard look at is is Todd Munkin. That, you know, his play calling at Kentucky didn't look good. <laughs> when they scored 17 points and they ran at 16. On the, his play calling for three quarters against Oklahoma. There were games, Clemson, he was completely outcoached. There were plenty of games where Todd Munkin's play calling wasn't great and the Georgia's uh, prolific defense saved the day and, and gave him until the fourth quarter to get something going. So you take George away from Todd Munkin and you stack his resume up against Mike Bobo's, and, and I would tell you that Mike Bobo's numbers were every bit as good, especially when you look at some of the records that Mike Bobo set at Georgia. Uh, you know, 2014, the highest-scoring Georgia team ever, Aaron Murray, all-time league passer, David Green, SEC winning his quarterback. Mike Bobo has a great resume. What he didn't have was a great defense to work with. Um, you know, Mike Bobo is, from all the folks that I've talked to that played for him, Brandon, He's the offensive version of Kirby when it comes to the enthusiasm, when it comes to the locker room talk. I mean, there's a lot of fire. If we play the what-if game and Kirby Smart's an assistant on, on Mark Rick's staff and Mike Bobo's on the Nick Saban staff and Kirby Smart tries to coach Colorado State and goes to South Carolina and Auburn is a, is a coordinator with the talent that they had and Mike Bobo's here uh, you know, with, with the talent that George's had, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is I'm not surprised. I've been more surprised by the failure of some fans who recognize that Mike Bobo is a really good coach and had really good success here, but he did not have the prolific defenses to cover up for him like some of the times Georgia sputtered these last two years. He didn't have that. Um, and so what's fascinating to me about where we're at is, you know, we have the Mike, the Mark Ricks offense, essentially. Um, I think Del McGee's the only assistant that wasn't under Mark Ricks. And, oh, by the way, Kirby Smart was once a Mark Richt offensive assistant, which was just an incredible uh, just an incredible note. Uh, and, and you have the Kirby Smart defense. It's kind of the best of both worlds. So, uh, you know, people like Matthew Stafford, uh, also coached by Mike Bobo, uh, Super Bowl champion, can recognize these things, right? But fans that, that hang out on Twitter and grab it low-hanging fruit and just kind of repeat things over and over without really thinking about it, fail to recognize how accomplished Mike Bobo was at Georgia when he had talent to work with. And he's got talent to work with, and I'm expecting offensive fireworks this year. Sounds like you got a little bit of a hard out here, so I want to squeeze in one more topic before we uh, let you go. That's some of the news from last week, going away from the Dylan Riola thing here a little bit, about the future of the Georgia-Florida series in Jacksonville. We know that there's some stadium renovations coming up. And I guess, Mike, my big takeaway on this over the course of the last few days is – is that there might actually be a little bit more life left in the cocktail party than I realize. At the very least, it sort of seems like 2023 won't be the last cocktail party. I'm guessing that the uh, the option year is going to be picked up here prior to June 30th. I get the sense of that at least. And maybe the uh, game in Jacksonville lives on beyond that there as well. That's not what I expected to be true. But I sort of think there may be a little bit more life left in the cocktail party than I realize. What's your read on the situation? Yeah, I think you're right. You know, I remember you telling me that if Kirby Smart won a national championship, he could do whatever he wanted to do with the game of Jacksonville. And a lot of people said that. And now that he's won it, people are saying, well, see, he doesn't really have to move it after all. Uh, so it's kind of interesting, you know, to see the university go against Kirby. But it, that's what it feels like. It feels like that there will be an extension. Um, you know, the money is whatever needed, wanted, the extra 2 or $3 million. Um, you know, you and I know it's bigger than that. There's obviously some politics behind this. And I give the city of Jacksonville great credit. Um, they've done a tremendous job. I mean, you're a kid from the northeastern Georgia, Brandon. And, yeah. you know, you, you turned out just fine. I mean, you're very accomplished. Uh, you met your brother. I mean, you guys are incredibly intellectual. <laughs> um, but, 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 First time but, anybody's ever said it about my brother, I think. I like your brother. No, like your brother. You need to have him on Dog Nation Daily. That's a throwdown challenge to you. There you I go. Want the, I want Brandon and his brother on there. But, there you but, go. but the fact is, Northeast, Northeast Florida has got better schools. It's got a better infrastructure. They've got an airport in Gainesville with eight gates and a brand-new Delta terminal. And, uh, you know, Athens is struggling. It's struggling in a lot of different ways. And this is a game that, to me, would have a major impact on the local economy, which ultimately would help the school. 
uh, and the people that live here and make the University of Georgia what it is. Now, there was a time when South Georgia was politically uh, more tied to the school um, than it is now. Obviously, the, the demographics have shifted in terms of the population base and where students are coming from. And, you know, we, you and I could do an entire show on this, and maybe one day we will. But uh, for right now, at least, it, you, I tip my cap to the city of Jacksonville and the Florida fans. Uh, you know, the Gators are on life support right now. They need this game there another two years. I don't know that Billy Napier is the answer, but they need this money and their economy and this excitement. And I give all the credit to Florida and Jacksonville. They're doing a tremendous job protecting something that means a lot to that northeastern Florida economy. All right, uh, Mike, thanks for being here today. We'll look forward to bringing much more from you there at uh, dognation.com. And uh, I'll talk to you back here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Braided Pass Management again very soon there as well. I appreciate it, Brandon. Have a good one. Yes, sir. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. All right, two quick things here. First of all, Mike always uh, says that I once said that if Kirby Smart won the national championship, he could do whatever he wanted with the cocktail party. I think, and you can go back and check the tapes on this, assuming you could find this is years and years ago. I think what I actually said was, is I don't want to hear about canceling the cocktail party until you have won a national championship. Well, now Smart's won two. So clearly his leverage is as high as it ever is. But I think one of the things that I've learned throughout this process, and listen, I don't mind telling you, if I have a big-time bias, I don't mind putting it out there. You can judge for yourself if, if the words that I'm using are you know valid to you based on the bias you understand me to have. I am pro-cocktail party. I like the cocktail party. I, I'd like to see it stay. I have thought it was going to come to an end, and now I'm not quite so sure. So know my bias coming into the discussion and and you you can you know judge everything else based on the bias that I'm more than happy to acknowledge and, and and represent to you here on this but the point is is that what I have learned is even with Kirby kind of having more sort of political capital at his disposal than he's ever had because of two straight national championships this game is just really really lucrative and road games are expensive I think I saw I think Chip Towers had this in the AJC the other day that it costs you about $500,000 to go play a road game in the SEC. Just, it's just expensive. And so when you got the neutral site game, both sides getting their travel costs paid for, you know, they bring in the big bucks. That just ends up being a lot of money. And, you know, like a lot of these sort of like million dollar this, a million dollar that, it kind of just sort of goes in one ear and out the other because we're not getting the money anyway, so what do we care? But when you really kind of stop and pause and realize, Oh wow! This is actually a pretty big windfall coming Georgia's way. Whether and and listen, there is a growing number of Georgia fans who don't want the game in Jacksonville. I respect your opinion. I even respect the idea that we're getting pretty close to that almost being the majority opinion, and I sort of understand that too. Like, I'm not so wrapped up in my own bias here that I can't show some some respect for the fact that uh, that you know you got you got more and more Georgia fans who seemingly would like to have this game in Athens. I get that, but. The reason why your wishes might not be, uh, you know, acquiesced to here, why Kirby Smart's wishes might not be acquiesced to here, is because of just how much money this game, you know, kind of brings in to Georgia for traveling down to Jacksonville. And the other thing, and I know this was in the Chip Tower story at AJC the other day, and this to me kind of jumped off the page. And I just thought this was really interesting. So, you know, the current Jaguars owner is Shad Khan. Uh, I think he bought the team in 2011, I think. Tony Khan, his son, runs AEW, but that's a different story for a different day. Uh, but Shad Khan owns the Jacksonville Jaguars. And there was a figure with the, within the Jaguars organization that said, we view the Georgia-Florida game completely different than the previous Jaguars ownership did. Listen to this. This is very interesting. By the way, this would be kind of a nice thing for the Falcons to sort of do sometimes, sort of acknowledging uh, the, 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 the power and the, and the magnitude of the Georgia fan base. The Jacksonville Jaguars, as an organization, believe that the most important event that happens in Jacksonville every year is the Georgia-Florida game. It's not a Jaguars game. And there's a quote from Chip at the AJC the other day from somebody in the Jaguars organization who says that. The most important thing that happens in Jacksonville every year is not a Jaguars game. It's the Georgia-Florida game. So this big new stadium renovation that's going to take place in Jacksonville eventually is apparently going to be done so with Georgia-Florida in mind. And as Chip has reported there, they are going to be consulting with and have already been consulting with Georgia and Florida on this project. So basically, it's like everybody wants to build like the new battery, you know, where the Braves play there at Truist Park, the battery around that, the kind of mixed-use development around a stadium. That's everything that exists now. By the way, uh, Arizona Coyotes yesterday 
uh, voted down a stadium referendum. So uh, keep your eyes on hockey returning to uh, uh, Atlanta here at some point in time, or at least suburban Atlanta at some point in time. Same kind of mixed-use stadium uh, type project. But that's what this is going to be on the river there in Jacksonville. And Georgia and Florida being heavily consulted on this as a way of making this palatable for the needs of the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. So not only is Georgia, Florida maybe alive to remain in Jacksonville here, we could actually have new life breathed into the cocktail party. And all of a sudden you're going to be playing in a facility that's befitting the quality of the game. Because I don't mind telling you, as someone who has loved Georgia, Florida for a long time, that stadium in Jacksonville is a dump. It's just an absolute dump. It's the worst of the worst. And I'll go off on a slight tangent here, and then I promise we'll get the train back on the tracks. So one of the cool things about Georgia is Georgia plays a lot of games in NFL stadiums, and typically speaking, NFL stadiums are really nice, especially from a media standpoint, because you've got a lot of you know good Wi-Fi. You know, just everything about an NFL stadium is just usually pretty nice. Well, you know, technically speaking, the stadium in Jackson, NFL Stadium too, it's not like any other stadium I've ever been to in the NFL. I have a hard time imagining there are very many worse stadiums. It may be the absolute last, 32nd out of 32. It may be the worst stadium in the NFL. Well, that's not going to be the case uh, anymore. Uh, coming up pretty soon, they're going to be big-time renovations there. And Georgia, Florida are a major player in those renovations so you can be for it you can be against it i understand there's a pretty big divide among georgia fans about it and we've kind of covered that for a good number of years but interesting twists in all of this here right now and uh cocktail party may live a little longer than some of us thought which i have to admit i do think is probably a good thing all right so the music ended a long time ago so let me just kind of quickly uh talk about going around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean and being on a royal caribbean cruise ship here uh myself coming up before the summer's done looking forward to that but the other thing that i look forward to is your own opportunity to be on a royal caribbean cruise vacation i will tell you one of the things I still love is the way in which I still hear from so many people that were on the Dog Nation cruise with us, people who had a great time and enjoyed themselves. I enjoyed getting to know them. There is just something about the Dog Nation cruise where you spend more time, extended time with uh, with you know Georgia fans, and it's a little bit different than one of our meet-and-greet type things we may do. We're only somewhere for a couple of hours here locally, and we've got to move on, go on with our life. You know, I've always sort of viewed the Dog Nation cruise as sort of like Dog Nation version of summer camp. You just sort of get to know people a little bit better. And I still hear from folks and hear about the great time they had on board the Dog Nation cruise, which I love. And it just really invigorates me to want to tell you that I promise if you go out there and get your own Royal Caribbean cruise vacation this summer, heading towards, you know, fall 2023, always great deals on those cruise ships come fall time of the year or early 2024, the debut of Icon of the Seas. I truly believe you're going to enjoy it. And you're going to have just as much fun as the hundreds of people who joined us for the recent Dog Nation cruise. So give Jessica Slater a call. She's a travel agent. Uh, she was selected for us by Royal Caribbean. Royal Caribbean believes that a great Royal Caribbean cruise vacation made even better by a great travel agent. They think Jessica is a great one. She served us very well, including my own family's personal travel, too. So you can give her a call, 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. All right, for today's cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean, I like lists. I like talking season. I like fodder for chatter during talking season. And one of the things that always kind of comes out this time of year is our friends at CBS Sports will rank all of the coaches in the Power Five. They kind of always do it this way, where like they'll give you the top 25, but then prior to that, they'll kind of give you the coaches that didn't make the top 25. And sometimes that kind of bottom part of the Power Five is the most interesting part of this. So for now, I want to highlight the names from the SEC who are kind of viewed to be outside the 25 best coaches in college football as ranked by the, I guess, panel of experts, if you will, there at CBSSports.com. Starting with Zach Arnett from Mississippi State at 68. Now, here's the thing. Anytime they have a coach that hasn't coached before, they always kind of rank them near the bottom of this particular list here. What I think is, about, what I, what I think is interesting about Arnett, and this is probably worth paying attention to, even though that Georgia doesn't play Mississippi State this year, is apparently Arnett wants to completely refashion the Mississippi State program. He has selected an offense here that is worlds different than what the Mike Leach offense was. That the old Leach era, and obviously, you know, you know, we continue to be sad about the passing of Mike Leach. We're talking about you know the football part of this here right now. They want to move off the Mike Leach offensive system. Ryland Goaty's been brought there to play tight ends. That program hasn't had tight ends in a good number of years, and so Arnett not only has a pretty tough task of just sort of stepping in 
the shoes of a very, very recognizable and kind of you know cast a large shadow. A guy like Leach, big personality. You know, Arnett's got tough shoes to fill on that, but he's made his task even tougher by the fact that he's sort of reimagining the program here. Now he's got the multi-year deal. He is not an interim coach. He is the full-fledged coach at Mississippi State, but he probably needs some success here. Uh, early on, or at least some success, something to sort of hang his hat on to make the you know the sort of Bulldogs faithful there sort of feel okay about that uh, about that contract. So Arnett trying to make Mississippi State into a little bit different kind of program that's going to be interesting this year. Uh, let me roll through here. Keep scrolling. You find uh, Clark Lee at fifty six. Lee actually won two SEC games a year ago. He may be a little too low there on that list. And then if you keep, keep uh, if you keep scrolling a little bit more, you get to Eli Drinkwitz at fifty one. I don't have a ton to say about him. He sort of is what he is. But eventually, you're going to work your way to Billy Napier at 43. And I don't know that anything says the situation at Florida more so than that right now. That this is a program that's just sort of skating on thin ice right now. And CBS Sports only views them as having the 43rd best coach in the country. Now, there was a time in which Florida aspired for national championships. And now even making a bowl sort of seems like a successful season. That program has fallen off mightily. And you got you know Scott Strickland, the athletic director, in the page of the athletic, begging for patience there on that. Uh, and I guess Florida fans are going to have no choice but to do it. But it is weird times down in Gainesville right now. But ultimately, the name I really want to get to is is Sam Pittman. Sam Pittman on this list, CBSSports.com, and this is just one group of folks who follow college football's opinion. This isn't the end all be all, but it, I, I do think it's interesting as sort of a conversation starter of kind of how Pittman's viewed right now. Every Georgia fan that I know, with good reason, loves Sam Pittman. I love Sam Pittman. I've said this before. I have never rooted for another SEC team as openly as I root for Arkansas because I just like Pittman that much. He was a great, pivotal figure for the beginning of the Kirby Smart era. I think he's got a tremendous personality. I want more coaches in college football like Sam Pittman. And the early wins that he had in, uh, during his time there at, um, at Arkansas in 2020 and 2021 is great to see. But you sort of see the way in which that's kind of caused Pittman to sort of trend up in the eyes of a lot of folks around college football and now maybe start to trend down. I want to give you an example of this. So when Pittman stepped in the first time there at uh, uh, Arkansas in 2020, he was ranked as the 50th best coach in college football. But after you know he had some success, he moved all the way up to the 20th best coach in college football. So he actually moved up 30 spots on this list because of the early success that he had there with the Hogs. But now after last year where they were just seven and six, now he's fallen down into the 20 spots. So think about this for Pittman. In the eyes of just a group of folks who rank coaches, Pittman moves up 30 spots, then they start losing games, now he drops 20 spots. And I would say in some form or fashion, that's also kind of the way in which a lot of the perception of Sam Pittman is sort of trended with a lot of other folks in college football there as well. The point is, I don't take any great pleasure in saying this, but it is just the cold, honest truth. Sam Pittman needs to win some games in Arkansas this year. At a certain point in time, your sort of favorite son status and the fact that I don't know anybody who dislikes Pittman, at a certain point in time, you got to be able to give your fans some wins. And some of what has sort of colored the perception of Pittman is in games in which Arkansas hasn't always won, they have oftentimes covered the spread, at least early stages of the Arkansas era with Pittman, that was kind of true. But for Hogs fans, that doesn't mean much. They don't actually get the W. You know, you go and look at some of these, you know, like lost Texas A&M a year ago and, you know, close calls against like Missouri State and people like that. Like Sam Pittman needs a good season there at Arkansas. Now, how do you, how do you define good in the final year of the SEC West? That's probably in the eye of the beholder, but probably better than seven and six. Probably needs to be that. We'll see if he's able to. Shane Beamer comes in at number 40 on this list. Um, I think that uh, Tom Fornelli, who writes up, you know, Fornelli's not the only one who kind of casts these votes. But uh, but he is the one that sort of writes all this up. I think he makes an interesting statement about uh, about Beamer there at CBS coming in number 40. He says, well, I believe the assessment's probably fine. He says, I'm a little surprised he didn't receive a bigger bump, meaning higher than 40th on the list, better than 40th on the list based on what South Carolina has done. I will agree with Tom Fornelli on that. I think you got to view Shane Beamer as arguably the most underrated coach in all of college football. When you look at you know Josh Heupel at Tennessee – Heupel's getting far more credit for his first two years at Tennessee than Shane Beamer's getting there at South Carolina. And Shane Beamer beat Josh Heupel just you know a couple of months ago. So I do believe that Beamer, who has shown year-over-year improvement, two pretty good years in the job there at South Carolina, they're recruiting very well right now, 
have an outside chance to be a top 20 team here this year. Um, I do think that Shane Beamer right now is probably an underrated coach in college football and is probably doing better at South Carolina than he's, for the most part, getting credit for. And then finally, one more to give you here. Number 26 in this list, and I guess tomorrow or sometime this week, CBS Sports will come out with its top 25, and we'll see if they do rank Kirby Smart number one as they should. But before we get to the top 25 later in the week from CBSSports.com, you see number 26 on this list, Auburn coach Hugh Freeze. Y'all, that is something you ought to notice, you ought to pay attention to. Now, Hugh Freeze has been at Liberty you know, the last couple of years, so he hasn't really been on this list. So he's only eligible for this list now because they're ranking you know, Power 5 coaches now. Auburn has a better coach than a lot of other teams in the SEC. This ranking would certainly seem to suggest that's the case. How good can he be at Auburn? The jury is still, of course, out on that. But I believe Auburn made a good hire when it hired Hugh Freeze. And you can say what you want to about his personal life, and you have every right to do that. Freeze has said he's a changed man, and he's you know better now than he used to be. The proof will soon be in the pudding on that one way or another. But there are a lot of programs right now that look at their coach, and they ought to be wondering, is our guy as set up for success at our place as Hugh Freeze there is at Auburn? And if you're a Billy Napier at Florida or a Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss or a so-and-so at so-and-so, Jimbo Fisher, Texas AM, maybe even – you know, I think the presence of Hugh Freeze there at Auburn might prove to be a little bit of a problem for you. And we'll make that cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And the summer is here, and I love this time of year. Love being at the swimming pools, love being on golf courses, love going on the lake and fishing or whatever else that you're doing. When you're outside having a good time this time of year, there is no better accompaniment for your enjoyment than our friends at the Finnish Long Drink. It's a ready-to-drink cocktail. comes in a can, so it sort of looks like a beer, but it's not. It's a ready-to-drink cocktail. It's a mixed drink in a can, basically. So if you like mixed drinks, you'll love this. You can pour it into a glass, you can pop the top, and just enjoy it straight out of the can. Uh, my wife was uh, saying the other day she would love to have some more long drink cranberry in the house. We get ready to move into the summertime of year, and so that's my marching orders. We'll get that taken care of here very soon. Of course, you can try the long drink strong as well. Long drink zero. That's no carbs, no sugar. For those of you who want to look good in your bathing suit, uh, the traditional in the blue can. It's got the gin kick, the grapefruit flavor. Man, it's just good stuff. So, so many of you have tried it and you've enjoyed it and you share it with us when you do. Others of you, well, maybe you're still waiting to kind of find out all about it. So go to thelongdrink.com for more on that. That's thelongdrink.com. You can find out where to pick some up and you can find out where you can enjoy some finished long drink here today. All right, golden shoe time. By the way, speaking of the lousy, stinking Gators, kind of an oldie but a goodie. We've had this a couple times before. Dog fans love sharing this. Our buddy Bill Sanders, the latest to share it with us, and we'll always re-rack this each and every time because I do think it's truly funny. Uh, Bill says the evolution of the trash icon. You go back and see this from the old. Is this Microsoft? That's what this is, like Microsoft Windows, I guess. You see how the trash icon has evolved itself. Uh, and then finally, 2022, yeah, it's the uh, lousy, stinking Gators logo. Bill, that is very funny, and we love it, and that is our golden shoe winner for today because we truly believe that is what the lousy, stinking Gators are. And listen, cocktail party may live on. Georgia may be in Jacksonville for quite some time. We think it's bad news for Florida wherever the game is played. And 164 days from right now, that will be proven once again. It is our Gator Hater Countdown. Hope all of you have a great day, and we'll see you back here tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pass Management. Talk to you then, everybody. <laughs>